Good evening. I hope that everyone's having a wonderful evening this evening. I uh, apologize. It's been a little while since I've gotten to record and be with you all uh, through a study of the book of Romans that we're doing. Uh, but finally got some time tonight freed up to get to sit down and record a little bit. And I pray that the Lord has blessed you with a wonderful week. Uh, before we get our study tonight, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Most kind, gracious, Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, to come and study your word tonight, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to bring this message and this uh, interpretation of your scripture out to all those that are listening. We pray, Lord, that you would bless the study of your word tonight, Lord, that you give us the thoughts and the words you desire us to have, Lord, that we may do a, a faithful job to teach your word in spirit and in truth. But we pray, Lord, for this world we're living in, this horrible virus that is plaguing our world. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, remove this virus uh, that, that is plaguing our people, Lord, and that you would bless those that are sick and heal them, Lord. Be with our doctors and all those that are out working, Lord, uh, our power people, our, our, our pharmacists, our our retail workers, everyone, Lord, everyone who's in, the, in harm's way. We pray, Lord, for safety for all of them, Lord. Bless this message, Lord, and let it do thy will. And we pray especially, Lord, if someone be unsaved, Lord, that your Holy Ghost power of conviction would fall upon them, Lord, and they would surrender their life to you for his everlasting too late. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for everything. And in Jesus' name we pray, and amen. All right, uh, we have been studying through the book of Romans the last a uh, few times. We're up to Romans chapter 3, and for anyone who's not been with us so far, Romans 1 and 2 is on the podcast. You can go back and check them out. Um, as I said in Romans 2, this is not a in-depth study of the book of Romans. This is uh, designed to be little 30-minute segments, a crash course, I guess, if you will, through the book of Romans. And I pray that uh, it's a blessing to you and that you may be able to use it in this time. And we're not able to really meet in our churches like we'd like to be able to, Lord. But we know the Lord's going to use this time for growth and for edification and for revival. Let's remember that the book of Acts, uh, churches were taking place starting out in people's homes. And, and the Lord may be very well given us a season of that for us to revive our homes, revive our families. Uh, revival starts at home. It doesn't start in the church. It starts at home. And as homes have revival, churches have revival, and communities experience revival. So let's pray for that. Uh, the book of Romans, chapter 3, starting in verse 1, we're looking at the writings of Paul here to the church in Rome. And we're looking at a message really to the Jew here, but I, I think this message applies to a lot of us. So we'll go ahead and get started. Romans, chapter 3, verse 1 says, What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. So the Jew is asking if, you know, what is the profit, the benefit of following the law? What is the benefit of being a Jew um, if we're all the same, Jew and Gentile, which we are. We're all equal. God is no respecter of persons. But we also know that the Jew is God's chosen people. Through the Jew, he gave us Jesus. And through Jesus, he blessed the world. Um, so the Jew had a very important role to play in all this. Um, as it talks about in verse 2, that these was committed, the oracles of God, is through the Jew that the prophets were given to us throughout the Old Testament. Um, it's through the law that we are showed our need for a Savior, as we studied in Romans 2. So all this has a place. All this has a purpose in God's plan. Um, nothing takes place outside the sovereignty of God. Either God 
causes it to happen or God allows it to happen. And a lot of times we may not understand why that is, uh, but it's not for us to understand. It's for us to trust God. And verse 3 says, For what, what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. So Paul is presenting a hypothetical question here, and he presents a lot of a uh, series of questions here as we go throughout the reading of the first half of Romans 3. But he asks, this is, what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? In other words, is the fact that they don't believe suddenly making the work of Christ not valid? Because they don't believe, does that mean that what God did no longer effective? Um, but not so. It really doesn't matter what we believe about um, God, far as God's plan goes, God's plan's going to go through it, uh, no matter how we believe, no matter how we feel. Um, Paul didn't want people to think that, you know, what if some did not believe, should believe to make the faith of, faith of God without effect? No. Jesus Christ is still redeeming souls, whether you believe or not. God is still saving people, whether you believe or not. The only impact that you have personally is for your personal um, in destination. Is it going to be heaven or hell for you? How have you believed? Have you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you repented and placed your faith in him? Um, and a lot of people don't like that uh, combination. But the bottom line is when we look at the word repent, I like to break that down for you because it's important. A lot of us, it's a church word. We don't have the meaning to for some people. The word repent is to turn. It's a change. Well, when we turn, we are turning from the life we are living. We're turning from self-satisfaction, self-gratification, and turning to a life where we're fully trusting in Christ, turning to God, turning to God for our salvation, trusting in Him. And through that, we're also turning in our, our works. Uh, that doesn't mean our work saves us, but it means because we have placed our faith in Christ, we're a new creature. We don't desire the same things. Uh, we desire to live a life that pleases God. And verse 5 says, But if our unrighteousness commendeth the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. God forbid, for then how shall God judge the world? Now Paul is asking a question we would think that no man would ask, but it has been asked or Paul wouldn't mention it. And he says, Our unrighteousness, the bad things we have done, through the bad sinful actions, it further shows the righteousness of God. Think about this. If you have a white carpet in your living room and a kid comes along and drops um, a, a, a drop of spaghetti sauce, just one little drop of spaghetti sauce on that white carpet, because that carpet is white, that spaghetti sauce shows up that much brighter. Um, where if you had a red carpet, no one would really notice it. No one would really pay any attention. It would blend in. Um, some of the Jews were thinking that, you know, God shouldn't judge their sin. God shouldn't judge the wicked things they've done because them being wicked just shows how righteous and perfect God is in comparison. Um, and they basically said, how could God take vengeance on them? Because in the end, they're making God look that much better. But Paul says in verse 7, For the truth of God hath more abounded 
though my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? You know, if, because we lie and because we sin, it brings that much more glory to God that shows how much better he is than us. Why are we judged as sinners, Paul's asking. But, it says, and not rather as we be slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. See, the Jews are trying to justify their sin. And while I don't know anyone that I've ever met personally who says, you know what, my sin makes God look good, I have met plenty of people who says, well, you know, I, yeah, I sin, but God will forgive me. Yeah, I sin, but, you know, God understands. Well, we all sin, we, you know, and, and they continually make excuses for the sins they commit. And while, yes, the Bible says we've all sinned and fell short of the glory of God, and even Paul said as he struggled to do good, uh, he had a hard time doing good. Actually, it says something to the extent of the more he, good he tried to do, the less he was able to accomplish. And the more he tried to avoid doing evil, the more evil he actually done. Um, and that's our sin nature, our Adam nature the Bible talks about, our sin nature that we inherited from Adam. We are born with a uh, physical desire to do sinful things, to please ourselves, to please our flesh. From the moment that we're born and we start screaming out at birth for warmth from our, our mother, you know, it's a fleshly pleasure. Uh, from the moment we desire our first sup of milk we cry out for that sup of milk we're always trying to find ways to fulfill the desires of our flesh but our damnation is never just our sin will never be just because the bible says that god provided us a way of escape the way of escape is jesus christ um I often make the comparison that's like the old cartoons we used to watch where you had an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other well, when you're unsaved, the only thing you have is the devil. The angel isn't there because you don't have the Holy Spirit. Now, you may have the moral teachings of your parents. You may have society's norms and standards. But you don't have the Holy Spirit of God convicting you, leading you, drawing you. God has given us the Holy Spirit, not only just as a comforter, but as someone who goes with us everywhere we go and helps us know right from wrong. Verse 9 says, What then are we better than they? No and no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. Paul wants the Jews to understand something. The Jews have felt that because they are Jewish, they don't need a Savior. They, they couldn't possibly understand because they're God's chosen people. They have studied the law of Moses. They have uh, worshipped Father God for all these generations. They must be good. They could not possibly be bad. But Paul's telling us here, and this I hope realize applies to you and me too, that they're all under sin. We are all under sin. And I want you to really listen to these next few verses. We're going to read through a large section here, but we're going to talk about the depravity of man. The Bible says in verse 10, As is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. My goodness. They don't step on your toes. I don't know what it is. None. 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 That means no man, woman, child ever born was righteous. No one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. If you're sitting there tonight, you're listening to this, you say, well, I'm looking for God. No, you're not. 
Bible says right here, there is none that seeketh after God. There's none, in other words, that looks for God. You see, when you got saved, you weren't looking for God. God was looking for you. God was calling you. The Bible talks about how the Holy Spirit uh, woos us to salvation. It draws us toward Christ. There is a magnetism there that the Holy Spirit performs a work in us, that through the preaching of the Word, the Holy Spirit works in our heart, and it draws us to a saving faith in Christ. But you and yourself, you don't seek after God. Say, so, well, I go to church because I want to know more about God. I would guarantee when you first started, you didn't go to church because you want to know more about God. You went because mom or daddy made you go. You went because your wife or husband made you go. You went because you felt it was the good thing to do. You went because you wanted people to think you were a good person. You went because you wanted to feel like you were a good person. But it wasn't because you were looking for God. In fact, if you were looking for God, it's because God's already started working on you. And he's already started drawing you. Think about how good God is. He don't have to do anything. He deserves, he has every right to send us all to hell immediately. Because we're all condemned. But yet, he takes his Holy Spirit and he draws us to him for salvation. What a good God we serve. The word goes on to say in verse 12, They're all gone out of the way. They're together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not once. In other words, we're not even useful to God. We have no value whatsoever to God. So God didn't save you because he thought saw something in you and made him desire to save you. No. He saved you 100% undeserving by his grace. He looked down and saw a wretched sinner that had no value whatsoever, past, present, or future, and he saved you anyways. The word says that their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps or snakes is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery in their ways, and the way of peace have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Once you think back before you got saved, or maybe you're still not saved, you know, you had no fear of God. You may have said you did, and your parents might raise you to have respect for God, but you sinned without thinking twice about it. You missed church without thinking twice about it. You had no fear of this God. And remember, our God is, our, is the giver and taker of life. Um, we look, throughout, look at the things that happen to people out throughout the Bible because they disobeyed God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, the Bible says, which means the same God that brought the plagues upon Egypt, the same God that took people's life because of, of them robbing from the Holy Spirit, the same God that... Um, cast Adam and Eve out of the garden is the same God that we worship. Do not think that God has changed. Yet, before we're saved, we really don't, we're, we're so spiritually dead, we don't really even understand how big of a crime spiritually we're committing. You see, the word that the, theologians use is total depravity. What that means, it means that we have no ability in ourselves 
um, to be saved. If we look at ourselves and say, well, I contributed anything to my work of salvation, then we are robbing God of the full credit he deserves for the fact that he saved us. Um, We are justified not because we went to an altar. We are justified not because we went to a baptism. We are justified not even because of the prayer we pray. We're justified fully because the work that Christ done on the cross. There is nothing in yourself that you've done to make yourself right with God. The only thing that made you right with God is the fact that Jesus Christ paid the price for your sins, that your sins may be completely forgiven. Outside of Christ crucified, we have nothing that we can say to make ourselves worthy of being forgiven by a perfect, holy, righteous God. We're totally depraved, totally unable to even seek out God without God first seeking out us. We don't even have the ability to understand that we need a Savior until the Holy Spirit steps in and begins to work on us and shows us our need for a Savior. So let's not look at God like well, you know we we are two parts of an equation here. We're you're, we're not. We owe God everything. Without God, we are nothing. And that's a lot of people really struggle with that idea because they say, "Well, I called out to God and He saved me." No, no, the Holy Spirit worked on you, drew you. And the reason that you called out to God is because of the Holy Spirit working on you. Now I want you to think about this while we're on the topic. You crying out to God does not save you. Because if it was just you crying out to God, God very well, he, he doesn't owe you anything. He don't have to save you. But God provide the way. That we can be saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God. Now isn't that beautiful? Now yes we receive it. And cry out to him. And Romans chapter 10 says. For all those called upon the Lord shall be saved. But God is the one who provided it all. We just access it. Through that way. The word goes on to say in verse 19, and we see a shift here, where Paul says, Now we know that what things are the law saith, it saith them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Let me tell you something. The Jews all thought because they had the law... And because they did all these rituals that they were going to go to heaven. And, and I'm sad to say we got a lot of people today think the same thing. That because of their rituals, they're going to go to heaven. That they're going to go to heaven because mommy and daddy was a dedicated member of a church. They're going to go to heaven because they're a member of a church. 
Uh, they think they're going to go to heaven because of baptism. They think they're going to heaven because of church attendance. They think they're going to go to heaven because they preach or because they help hand out communion, whatever, whatever it is. But the reality is that's just religion. And religion isn't going to get a single soul into heaven. Religion causes wars. Religion causes conflict. It's Jesus Christ that justifies us. Not any ritual. Now, that doesn't mean those things are bad. But we do those things as an act of worship. We do it because we are worshiping our, our Savior. We're not justified because we do them. But we do them out of an act of worship. You know what worship really is? We're worshiping because God is so grand, so great, so so magnificent that we don't have the words or even actions that really justify good worship. But we give it our very best. And we do these things out of obedience in an attempt to worship Him. Even our worship isn't good enough, really, at how, of what God truly deserves. Verse 21 says, But now the righteousness of God without the law was manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Now there's a whole lot in those few verses, and we'll try to hit some of the high points here. But Paul starts off telling it, it it's not the law. The righteousness of God is showed to us through the law and through the prophets, the, the teachings of the prophets. It's through the, the perfection of the law that we see the perfection of God and just how imperfect we are. And the righteousness of God we have access to by our faith in Christ, by believing in on Christ. Not just believe in, but believing on. In other words, trusting in Christ. Not just to the Jew, but to the Gentile. Because anyone can trust in Christ. No matter your 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 uh, race, no matter um, your education level, no matter your age, no matter your location, anyone can believe and trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation. Because we do that, we have received the righteousness of Christ. That doesn't mean I'm righteous in myself. It doesn't mean my actions are righteous. That means spiritually speaking, I become righteous because I believed in Christ. And we all need that because we've all sinned. We've all come short of the perfect glory of God. Remember, God's standard is perfection, and none of us has reached that. Paul then talks about how we are justified, that we're justified freely. Man, isn't that wonderful? There's not much free in the world anymore. But salvation is free, completely by grace. We're completely redeemed and purchased through the sacrifice of Christ Jesus. And it's important that Paul puts Christ first. Because Christ is another word for Messiah, for Savior. We are purchased by the Savior, and the Savior is Jesus Jesus 
is the Savior because God has set them, him forth. In other words, he has um, made him the one. He has been elected to be the one, to be a propitiation, to provide a way to salvation by having faith in his blood. To declare his righteousness for the remission, in other words, the forgiveness of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. If you want your sins to be forgiven, every single one of them, past, present, and future, can only be done through and by the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. If you want to look back historically, the Jews and the Romans... They used to say that Christianity was such a dirty, filthy religion because it talks so much about blood. That without the blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the blood, there is no remission. You see, the Jews used to sacrifice goats and heifers and different things, turtle doves and different things for uh, for salvation, for, for to be forgiven, to have their sins temporarily blotted out. But those that wasn't a good enough sacrifice for a, a permanent sacrifice, permanent forgiveness. The Bible even says that it was uh, through Abraham's faith that he was made righteous. It will be by your faith and my faith that we are made righteous. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus Listen, I, I don't want no one to misunderstand this. It is fully by believing and trusting in Jesus Christ that you'll be saved. I know I've said that a lot this evening. But there's so many ways people have tried to make us have access to God. So many different ways. So many different um, little tricks and little gimmicks people have made up to try to get people right with God. Listen, you don't need no trick. You don't need any gimmick. You need to fully place your faith in Jesus Christ. Believe him at his word. It's as simple as that. He's made you promises in his word. Promises that you can be redeemed, you can be forgiven, that you can find redemption. Think about Noah and the ark. If Noah had not built the ark, he would not have been saved from the flood. But because he believed God, trusted him, God provided him a way in his family to be saved. Well, God's provided a way for the whole world to be saved. If we'll just trust in him. Verse 27 says, Where is boasting then? Is it excluded by what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. If you are truly saved, you are truly saved. Someone comes up to you and says, Well, you're not saved because of this, this, and this, and all these different things they want to throw against you. Remember that the devil's the accuser of the brethren. Now, that doesn't mean that people can't come to you with Scripture and show you where you may need to do a little bit better in your life. We all, if we read the Word or sanctified by the Word, uh, the Word shows us many faults that we have we need to work on. I know even though I may have been saved a while and pastor a church, there's plenty of time I get in the Word and I'm convicted by it and it helps me grow closer to God. That doesn't mean I'm not saved. It doesn't mean God doesn't love me. I think of my own children. As my children grow up, I have one that's three and one that's five. It'll be six in a couple months. And every day, I try to show them things they need to do better and need to maybe not do at all. But just because I correct them and just because I show them a better way to live their lives 
doesn't mean they're not my children when they do wrong. doesn't mean I don't love them. The Bible tells us that we are adopted when we place our faith in Christ. Adoption in the Jewish tradition was permanent. We are secure in Christ. And we have no reason to brag about that. You think of your own personal birth. You contributed nothing to when you were born. You were born into this world. If a child is adopted, that child doesn't contribute nothing to their adoption. It's between the parents that adopt that child and the adoption agency or whatever it takes place with. But the child has nothing to brag about. If we are going to boast, we're going to brag. Let's brag about God. Let's brag about Jesus. Brag about that Jesus saved us, even though we were wicked and didn't deserve it. He saved us anyways. Verse 29 says, Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision by faith. I bet they put a lot of Jews in their places right there. Remember, the Jews were being boastful, thinking that they had some special standing with God that they didn't have. We are all the same. We're all in need of a Savior. And there's only but one Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There's only one way to access God. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. Jesus said he did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. Because Christ fulfilled the law, when we place our faith in him, we no longer have to worry about fulfilling the law, because Christ fulfilled the law for us. I want you to think for just a moment that you've been brought up on charges for murder. You have all the evidence in the world against you. And because you're on court and you're on trial and you're getting ready to be condemned, getting ready to go to jail, getting ready to maybe be executed, you have to have a way to find forgiveness. If not, your fate is sealed. There's nothing you can do about it. Well, the judge comes along and says, I tell you what, we can let someone take your place. Well, if someone's going to pay for your crime, it cannot be someone else who's already committed your crime. It has to be someone who's never committed the crime that you're talking about. Another murderer can't take the place of a murderer. Let me tell you something, another sinner couldn't take the place of a sinner. But there was one that was sinless, one that never lit, never committed one single sin his entire life, yet died the death of someone who was condemned. You see, that was Jesus Christ. That's why we place our faith in him. That's why we find forgiveness only in him. Because if someone's going to pay the price for a sinner... It has to be someone who is sinless. The only person to ever be sinless was Jesus. I'm thankful he took my sins and placed them on the cross of Calvary, he took my judgment on the cross, and provided me a way for salvation. If you're listening this evening and you've never been saved, or maybe you're sitting there tonight and you don't know if you're truly saved, I would hate to face eternity not knowing what my the next moment could hold. We're always just a breath away from eternity. Remember that. And we're living in very uncertain times. Let me tell you something. Through and by Jesus Christ, you may be saved. 
They said, Pastor, how do I access that? Simply by faith. By trusting in Jesus Christ. If you're willing to trust in Him tonight, you could pray a simple prayer such as, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Lord, I know I'm in need of forgiveness. I ask you, Lord, to forgive me. I trust your Son, Jesus Christ, paying the price for my sins, Lord. I thank you for the sacrifice you made for me, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would save me. You don't have to say those exact words, but a prayer is something to that effect. It's a simple ABC. Admitting you're a sinner, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, and confessing him as your Savior is all that it takes. If you do that this evening, you feel the Lord has saved you, I want to encourage you to, to, to reach out to to me or to another pastor or an elder Christian in your life. Let them know what change took place. Let them know what God done for you. Remember that C is to confess him. We pray that the lesson tonight has been a blessing to you. We pray that uh, you continue to study along with us through the book of Romans. We'll be in Romans chapter 4 next time. Uh, we're going to try to have it up on Sunday to the best of our ability. Um, thank you for all you, you do for us. Continue to pray for us. Uh, if you ever have any questions or anything, send us a message, comment, or email. Email's basedin42 at gmail.com. Be glad to hear from you. God bless you and have a wonderful evening.